Eagles Entertainment. Our thing is uh, everybody's somebody. And, and most people don't know how well they can do something until they really test themselves. In 1976, Coach Dick Vermeil landed in Philadelphia. The young coach was now responsible for one of the worst teams in the NFL. Jimmy Murray said, Coach, you come and turn this program around, you'll be bigger than John Wayne in Philadelphia. That's, what he, that's exactly what he said. 46 years later, Coach Vermeil is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Vermeil was not an overnight success. This season on Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation, we're taking you through the twists and turns of his legendary career. We go back to the beginning, Hillsdale High School and UCLA. First saw Dick Vermeil as our coach in the summer of 1960 for summer practices. And it was obvious from the very beginning that this was going to be a new experience. Players win games, not coaches. We were uh, going into the Rose Bowl, the uh, biggest underdog, I think, in the history of the Rose Bowl. To his years with the Philadelphia Eagles. That was a hostile place that the Cowboys walked into. I was taking my headset off, you know, and the game is over, I'm like this, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And I can remember Coach Ramil on the sideline, walking up to guys and hugging them and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl. I said, Len Jim, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. Then, after 15 years away from the sideline, he returns to coach the Rams. I was so confident. This football team was unbeatable. I thought we caught some lightning in the bottle, I'm going to be honest with you. I remember looking up and seeing a big billboard that said, good luck, coach, and had Dick Vermeil's face on it. He finally reached the mountaintop, but he just couldn't walk away. I started thinking, oh, God, maybe I made a mistake. And I just remember seeing this little gray-haired, white-haired man with glasses on TV crying at the podium all the time. Every week he'd come running out of the tunnel at the end and he'd run up the sidelines and he'd always wave up to the booth to Carol. Over six episodes, it's an in-depth look at Coach Ramil's life, career, and legacy. Hear stories from Coach Ramil, Randy Cross, Herm Edwards, Ron Jaworski, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner, Dante Hall, and many, many more. If you work real hard and invest a lot of hours in getting better and you're an unselfish person and you do what you're asked to do as hard as you can do it every day on the practice field, well, Sunday it becomes just part of your personality. Subscribe now so you don't miss a minute of Return Game, Coach for Meal, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Friend. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to begin our prep for week three in college football. And to do that, we've got a great trio of guests. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl uh, joins the show to continue kind of taking stock of this draft class, particularly in the senior ranks. It's still relatively early, but who are some of the players that scouts are buzzing about at this stage of the process? We will hit on that and more there with Jim at the top of the show. After that, we've got Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell and I talk through some of the top prospects and most pivotal matchups set to hit our screens this weekend. Who do you need to have your eye on in the biggest games? Ben and I will have you covered, and we'll break down a mock draft, an interesting one there at the end of that segment. After that, we wrap the show up with Pick 6. Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head battle picking games here this fall. Ross had the lead going into last week. But 
I pulled ahead thanks to one crucial outcome last weekend. Follow along with us as we help get you ready for this Saturday's slate of games. Thanks so much to everybody out there that has left us uh, reviews and questions over on Apple Podcasts, and that's the best way to get into to, uh, to reach this show. If you want to throw us your support, leave us a rating, leave us a comment saying how much you like it. But if you've got a question, mock draft, rankings, whatever it is, leave it there in the in the comment box on Apple Podcasts. We will answer it here in our draft mailbag segment each and every week. Again, thank you so much to everybody that has done that in recent weeks as uh, the, the show and the college football season has really kicked into high gear. Now, uh, that said, let's kick things off. Excited to welcome Jim Nagy back to the show. It's time for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining us this week here on Mr. Relevant, a guy who's been on the show a number of times before, really happy to welcome back Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Jim, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, Fran, thanks for having me back on. It's always fun. So uh, you've been doing a piece uh, throughout the course of this fall over with the 33rd team, just kind of highlighting players that uh, have caught some buzz uh, so far early in the season uh, in college football. So I wanted to kind of start off with you there um, and just talk through a, a couple of players, maybe one on offense, one on defense that kind of stand out above the rest uh, of who is kind of heating up the most. It's hard to believe we're already three weeks in uh, to the college football season, but uh, who have you, whose name have you been hearing the most uh, in terms of what they've done here so far in 2022? Yeah, I would say a, a couple guys come to mind, Fran, and, and, and it really is important to, to make the point that you know, these guys can play their way into the game their senior year to the yep. Senior Bowl. Um, like Bayless Jones is a guy that comes to mind. I, I, I went and spoke to the team at Tennessee in August, and I used Bayless as an example to some of the guys that maybe feel like they're off the radar right now. You know, Bayless, going into his senior year, he would not have been a Senior Bowl invite, and he just played his tail off that last year. and in Knoxville. So I think a couple guys right now, uh, I would say starting on defense, Jacoby Winman is yep. a pretty easy one right now at Michigan state. Uh, you know, we, we knew about him last year. He, we had a, we had a decent grade on Jacoby coming into the year. He was more of an off the ball linebacker at UNLV. Um, they did let him rush a little bit. He had six and a half sacks last year and I'm three in the last game, you know, and then he transfers to, uh, to the Spartans and, and Mel Tucker has done such a great job in the portal the last couple of years. And, and Jacoby has come out of the gates these first two weeks with, I mean, six and a half TFLs, five and a half sacks. And that's impressive. But what probably the most, you know, even more so than that is the four, the four force fumbles yep. um, in two games. I mean, usually the national leader is up there like six or seven force fumbles on a year. Here he's got four in two games. So um, really, you know, they, they're playing him on the line of scrimmage. Um you know, in a full-time rush role, I talked to, I, I reached out to Mel Tucker after that week one game. And I'm like, Mel, when did you move this kid? And he said they got like midway through fall camp and they realized he was their best pass rusher. So why not just make a full-time move? So um, I think that decision is going to really bode well for Jacoby's draft prospects. I think, I think, uh, you know, whatever Jacoby ends his signing bonus money ends up being next year. I think he's going to have to, you know, give a donation to Michigan state football or Mel Tucker in particular uh, for that decision. And then, um, on, on the offensive side, I would go with Chase Brown, the running back at Illinois. Sure. Um, off to an unbelievable start. He's already been our, our senior uh, senior of the week one time this year. He's got 496 yards in three games. He was just a little over 1,000 last year in 10 games, so he's about halfway home um, to last year's total in, in, in less than a third of the game. So, you know, and when you watch his tape, he's got that great running back body type. He's kind of a hard-muscled, tight-skinned guy, compact 
doesn't give you a lot to hit, bounces off a lot of contact, and, he, and he's really got juice. I mean, this guy, when he, whether it's an inside run in the hole or whether it's him bouncing it wide, I mean, this guy has a gear, you know, an immediate gear to him. So um, those two guys really stick out, Fran, at this, uh, you know, early start of the season. And one of the things I love about Chase Brown, too, I mean, this is a guy that was a, a core four special team guy early in his career. 2018, he played almost 200 snaps on special teams on coverage units. So uh, when you talk about a guy that's got like those kind of traits, uh, I know you always highlight those kind of players uh, at the senior ball. Is like, All right, well, th- this guy's got traits to play on offense or defense, but also a proven commodity on special teams as well. Brand in, in, in that uh, let's let's talk about that for a second, because Chase Brown in 2018, he started his career at Western Michigan. Yep. You think in that in that wide receiver room, it had D. Eskridge, who yep. was a senior a couple years ago that went in the second round to the Seahawks. It had Sky Moore, who was, you know, second round pick last year of the Chiefs. It had Jalen Reed, who's wow. probably going to be being projected as a day two pick this year for Michigan State. Yeah. So you had the guys in the wideout room. You had Chase Brown in the running back room. <laughs> that is a that was quite uh for for the Mid American Conference, that's a heck of an offensive skill group. Yeah, Western Michigan. Uh, they they've got a history at wide receiver, uh, but they they certainly that was a that's a hell of a group they had together uh, back in that in that year. Now uh, I do want to ask you about one of Chase Brown's uh, teammates on the other side of the football, uh, Devin Witherspoon, uh, the corner, the senior corner there, won the Senior Bowl Defensive Player of the, of the Week this week. Uh, we've talked a lot about this cornerback class this year, and not just um, from the senior group, but just the overall, like in, in terms of all the players that are draft eligible, and it's just wide open. Is there a guy or two uh, you could throw Witherspoon in? there but is there a guy or two that kind of stands out as being you know in the running to be one of the top senior corners uh in this class maybe the number one guy off the board you're right Fran it is it is wide open it's wide open at a couple positions really man like I think linebackers wide open too Mm. like we're waiting to see what guys elevate out of that group but um yeah to the corner spot Witherspoon's a guy that he's somewhat local for us he's from Pensacola Florida um big big time track guy uh, you talk to the people on the staff there, they say he's absolutely going to blaze his 40, his 40 in the spring. Um, and you see that on tape. He's got a trigger. He's got a legit trigger. And what I love about him is that he's he's an innately physical corner. Like he will mm. come up and strike you. So um, like those two things about him, the speed and the physicality, you know, the other guys at the corner position, um, it's still really early. But Caillou Blue Kelly out at Stanford is a guy that we we liked on tape. Um, long guy, fluid, long guy that can, they can really move. And then, uh, a guy that we've seen, uh, back-to-back weeks here, we've had scouts at, at both of Louisville's games so far this year in, in Keytruck Clark, yeah. uh, is a guy that can play inside outside. Again, he's another guy that's got really good closing bursts and can make plays. Uh, his biggest thing probably is just being a little over aggressive, but I'd, I'd rather have it that way. I'd rather have a guy that you got to pull back and rein in a little bit. So, um, but you're right. Going back to your original point of it being wide open, it, it certainly is wide open at corner. How hard has it been? Uh, I know this has been a couple years now you've been dealing with this, but with the uh, the COVID-19 like eligibility rules with college football, like trying to determine who's eligible for this game and <laughs> who's not just because of uh, all the different uh, labels that schools are, because it really comes down school by school or labeling these guys all differently. Has that really kind of thrown a wrench into trying to figure out who's actually eligible for the game? It really hasn't. It, it's cost us to do a lot of research, Fran. Um, our, I'll give our, our DFO, Matt Kelly, a ton of credit. He's he's really worked his, his tail off, um, you know, checking in every single bio that, of the guys we put on the watch list this year, all 484 players. Like, we made sure those guys were, were all-star eligible. And really, um, 
what the rule is from the league this year is if they're a 2018 high school graduate, they're automatically eligible for an all-star game. If they're a 2019 high school grad, they have to play five or more games in four on-field seasons. So if they play four, that's that doesn't qualify. Um, Interesting. And then if they're obviously just like any other year, if they're a junior, they need to graduate before the all-star season. So um, it, it is, but really what's made it more difficult than anything uh, COVID has a little bit, um, excuse me, but I would say, I would say more than anything, it's the portal and just tracking sure. where these guys are at. We just, we had, we had the, the kid transfer from Tennessee Martin to Michigan right there before the start of the season. So um, the portal more than anything is, 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 has been the biggest, uh, wrench in, in what we do. Yeah, no question about it. Well, let's get to the next question here at college game day, heading to Boone, uh, for this, this week for app state. Uh, they had the big win last week against Texas A&M. Um, I saw you tweet about the app states running back Cameron peoples. I, I watched him over the summer. Um, so I, I've got a sense of his game, but, uh, tell us about peoples and are there any other, uh, prospects for Appalachian state that fans need to know about, uh, as they go into the meat of their schedule? Yeah, Cam Peoples is one of our highest graded backs right now, Fran. You you know, I mean, he's he's verified six foot two, two hundred twenty five pound guy. So he, he's a he's a big back. Um, we were at that first game of the year. We had a scout at the at the UNC game. Um, you know, he really had his his breakout game last week when he had that one hundred nineteen yards against A and M. But um, you know, he's he's one of those guys. He's two twenty four, and he's not a real violent runner. Um, but they're, you know, guys just glanced off him. Like he breaks a lot of tackles. Um, he doesn't go down easy and he's just kind of got, he's a leggy guy and he's got like a real smooth stride to him. So he doesn't, to me, it's a little bit deceptive, but he does have a breakaway gear as he showed in that AM game late. Um, so yeah, he's a cool runner. And then, and then I would, I would say Nick Hampton, uh, you know, their outside linebacker, a guy, long guy, 34 inch arms, really productive last year. 11 sacks, 17 and a half TFLs last year. Um, you know, and then we, we went to the UNC game, like I said, and, and he wrecked shop in that game. I mean, he's, he's got legit pass rush ability. He was our highest graded group of five defender coming out of our summer grades. Um, so it's cool to see him start the year. And, and he's going to be a guy that in the spring, you know, draft fans are going to know a lot about because he'll go to Indy and kill it. He's like a 39 vert guy, a, you know, 10, 6, 10, 7 broad jump guy. So he will he'll be a combine star as well. But uh, yeah, so there's, it's not, I mean, obviously it's surprising they go on the road and beat a number six team in the country in A&M, but um, it's not like they're devoid of, of NFL talent on that football team. Hampton's one of those guys, I feel like, uh, you know, the, the older uh, Pete Carroll defenses would have been a, a perfect fit in that kind of scheme, just you know, coming off the edge, uh, a little bit of an undersized rusher, but uh, the athleticism, uh, you know, the, the, it speaks for itself when you turn on the film. Um, last question for you, Jim, is there a guy that, the media right now, draft Twitter, they're just sleeping on that. They feel like you need to know, like ASAP, like, Hey, like there, there's just not enough buzz about this player right now. Uh, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's a few. There's probably a handful. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the, the, guy that, the guy that pops to mind and I'll say this, like draft Twitter and in the media, they're all over stuff, man. I mean, they, everyone's doing a great job covering this now, but, um, I would say Keon white defensive lineman from Georgia tech. Um, just, just hit up their staff this week to get a current weight on Keon. You know, he's, he's up to 289 pounds. So he's a really a 290 pound man. He's extremely versatile. He got our attention a couple years ago watching ODU tape. And, uh, you know, he's just flashing. I forget who we were watching that year on ODU. It, it, it might've been, uh, uh, O'Shane, oh, oh, O'Shane Zimenez. Yeah. Right. Who's in our game and, you know, plays for the giants now. And he was on the other side flashing 
you know, we pull up his bio, like, who is this guy? And he had 19, 19 tackles for loss that year. And he was a former tight end. So we're like, wow, this guy's doing this as a first year on defense. Like, that's impressive. And then he, you know, then we have COVID, he doesn't play. And then he hurts his ankle last year and doesn't play. So we're, we're a couple, we're a couple years removed and looking at the early season stuff. Um, we were at the Clemson game. Uh, he was really impressive in that game for a guy. They're playing him inside a bunch. They're moving around, but he is playing inside. He is going to be an absolute mismatch athletically for guards and centers at the next level. Um, he, he's got long arms. He uses his length really well, and he just has some natural rush coordination, like beating double teams. Like he gets some extra attention inside, like, cause he'll win off the snap and he'll get a guard or, or, or a tackle coming and, uh, you know, turn his way and he'll beat that guy too. So he's, he's just got some naturalness to him as a rusher. Um, and just based off the tape and how this guy runs and moves around, like he's going to, he's another guy, like I brought up Nick Hampton being a combine guy. I would expect Keon white to be a big combine guy as well. I was just going to make the connection between the two of them because uh, I feel like both really kind of cater to what a lot of teams are talking about and needing in terms of being uh, multiple up front. And, hey, we need a guy that can do a lot of different things, wear a lot of different hats. And they they're do it at different positions. Uh, White more of like an inside-outside lineman. Uh, Hampton more of like that, that Rush Sam uh, type of player, that type of presence off the edge. Um, but going to an all-star game, now you've got that ability. All right, well, let's see him do this. Let's see him do that. And you can put him in those advantages for that will cater to all 32 teams yeah absolutely and that's that's really the selling point with, with our with our game Fran is that you know whether it's a defensive lineman moving around or if it's a you know like you said like a Sam um you know play him in space play him off the ball let him run and, and cover then put his hand down and rush in one-on-ones or if it's an offensive lineman like Robert Hainsey who or Quinn Miners who had never snapped a ball in their life before they got to Mobile and they, they come down here and, and snap. And now two years later, Hainsey's now Hainsey's the starting center for Tom Brady. Um, just show, showcasing stuff they've never been able to do in college. And, and that's the value. We're playing a different scheme like last year with Perry on Winfrey uh, coming down and, and being used differently than he was used at Oklahoma. Um, that's all the stuff that really helps these guys. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Make sure to check out all of the content they're producing over uh, with the Senior Bowl on a weekly basis. Jim, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Yeah, thanks, Brand, and uh, congrats on that big Eagles win in the opener. It's time for Saturday Scouting. So great stuff there, as expected, from Jim Nagy. Thanks again to him for coming on the show. Uh, as I welcome in, Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, we've got a, a fun slate here. Week three in college football. Yeah, it's a decent slate. Some uh, interesting matchups. Not many rank first rank, but there's always prospects to, uh, to talk about. Exactly, and we'll get into uh, some of these matchups right off the jump. Uh, I think an interesting one, NC State going up against Texas Tech. All right, so it's a weird, like, kind of a, you got an ACC Big 12 battle. Uh, a lot of hype around the senior defensive end for the Red Raiders. Tyree Smith uh, coming in, big body defensive end. I compared him to, like, an Alex Okafor type of player uh, who ended up being a, uh, like, an early day three pick but lasted for a long time in the league. And I, I think it, so- it sounds at this point like Smith might go a little bit higher than that, um, but just a, a rock-solid player. He's going up against uh, NC State and their senior quarterback, Devin Leary. Uh, Dane broke him down early this week here on the show one thing that stands out to me with nc state they they lose icky aquanu uh, last year in the draft top 10 pick uh goes to the carolina panthers what is their what is their pass protection going to look like well devin leary top 15 in pressure percentage uh so far this season that offensive line is doing a really good job obviously leary part of that as well in terms of getting the ball out fast to make sure that that pressure does not get home so 
who wins here? Does Tyree Smith, is he able to, to impact Devin Leary, or is Leary in that pass protection able to kind of keep him at bay? That's an interesting matchup there to watch. We always like those cross-conference battles. Yeah, Timothy McKay over at right tackle looks like he's going to be a high-level prospect, only a redshirt sophomore at the at the present state, and keep an eye on for Grant Gibson at center, the uh, converted defensive tackle return for, I believe, his fifth or sixth season out there. So pretty uh, interesting offensive line group for NC State. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so uh, give us a matchup here you like. Who do, who do you like here for Saturday? Well, this Penn State-Auburn, uh, the home-and-home yeah. matchup, uh, is returning in 2022, and there's prospects both sides of the ball. Penn State leading tackler Jair Brown, safety which yep. they've been pumping out safety and DB prospects to the NFL year after year. Last year, was it Brisker? Went to the Bears. Come on, Brisker, second, second round. round. Yeah. Jair Brown looks like he's the recipient recipient of uh, all of the playmaking and the tackle and the production on the back end. He's going to have to stick his nose in the fire. He's got Tank Bigsby this week in the open Great field. Ball. Yep, yep so who's excellent at breaking tackles and uh, play strength and contact balance. He's going to make sure he's a reliable tackler on the back end. This is going to be a game scouts go right to to see how reliable tackling he is. And Auburn's got some speedy receivers too. Javarius Johnson's like a 5'8", 170-pound, over-the-top track kid. So Joey Porter Jr. out there, Jair Brown, a couple high-level prospects for Penn State. Joey Porter Jr., I want to see uh, him tackling Bigsby no and these question. ball carriers yep. in space. Have you done a deep dive on Bigsby? I actually have not gotten to him yet in terms of doing a, a deep, deep dive. No, not particularly, other than just kind of his highlights as a freshman and yep. sophomore. I kind of know what his profile is. I've watched him enough on Saturday. I've seen him enough as I'm watching some prospects sure. in the previous two drafts. Yep. I think I know his profile, but haven't done the full dive into yet. Only a true junior. Yeah, true junior uh, here for the Auburn Tigers. Actually entered the transfer portal this offseason, yep. then went right back to Auburn. So uh, tested the waters, <laughs> went, went, stayed home. The, uh, the receiver time. I just mentioned, too, Javarius Johnson, did the same thing. Same thing. Spring, springtime, transfer portal, Okie doke, back to the roster, everything's fine. We'll give some. Uh, I'm going to give some thoughts on that game a little bit later in the next segment uh, with Ross Tucker. Next one here, most to gain. Uh, a player who could really benefit from a strong performance here this weekend. I'll let you uh, kick this one off. I'm going to go with Zach Pickens, uh, defensive tackle for South Carolina, yep. going against going up against that vaunted uh, Georgia offense, run game, offensive line. Remember South Carolina beat number one Georgia, I think three or four years ago, yeah, all over call. Jake Fromm. Right. And that was really a Javon Kinlaw coming out game. Yep. Same things lined up here for Zach Pickens. You know, have a couple big run stops. Maybe you get up uh, Stetson Bennett's back on some third downs. You show you're more of a two-way player than just this big run plugger. He looks the part out there. Let's see it against the best competition. That's what Kinlaw did. I think he ended up being a top 15 pick, and, uh, you know, that's all she wrote. So I've got a blast for the pass from you, uh, for you for this one here. Uh, Jackson Kirkland is an offensive lineman in Washington. We've been talking about him for, like, feels like three or four years now at this point. Washington had that offensive line a few years back where uh, they put, like, three guys into the league, and everyone was kind of pointing at Kirkland saying, hey, th this is a guy to watch here. He was a left guard at that point. Moved to left tackle, looked a little bit uncomfortable in that COVID-shortened season, uh, and then came back last year and had that. It was week two against Michigan, and Aiden Hutchinson just undressed him. And at that point, it was like, oh, man, I don't know. Uh, is Kirkland going to be that kind of player? He was in first-round mocks at this point a year ago. It turns out Aiden Hutchinson, pretty good player, uh, and did that to a lot of offensive tackles over the course of that season. But the big thing with Kirkland, he goes into the pre-draft process last spring, and then ends up bowing out due to injury. And thankfully, was able to get that extra year of eligibility. Has not played up to this point. So again, the medical stuff continuing to pile up with Kirkland. But as of this recording on Thursday morning, all signs pointing towards him playing this week against Michigan State. So uh, going up against a, a cross-conference opponent, we talked a little bit about uh, Jacoby Winman in the last segment there with Jim. 
It's a great test for uh, for Jackson Kirkland coming off. If he's able to have a nice day against Winman and the rest of that Michigan State defensive line, that could go a long, long way to kind of reminding people, oh, yeah, this is a guy that people were pretty high on at certain points. But I still think probably more of a guard than a tackle when it's all said and done, um, but still it would be good to see Kirkland come out healthy against a good Michigan State front. Yeah, and there's a variety of different players on that front. Obviously, uh, Jacob Slade's returning as an interior player. they got Chris Bogle coming over from Florida, who's got some juice as a 640, 240-pound uh, outside linebacker. Obviously, Winman, the transfer yep. from UNLV. So a lot of interesting talent out there. Jackson Kirkland, all eyes are on you this season. So I want to see him show up when uh, the best competition's in front of him. All right, so we got uh, our next category here, Prospect After Dark, a guy that's playing in a game that starts uh, 8 o'clock or later on Saturday night. Uh, ben, I'll let you uh, uh, take the honors here, take, kick this one off. I'm going to go with two really quick ones here. UTSA okay. is facing Texas, yes. and do not sleep on UTSA. They have a lot of interesting prospects. Rashad Wisdom returned for his fifth year, kind of a thumping safety on the back end. But on the offensive side, receiver Zakari Franklin. Back-to-back yep. -back 100-yard games, two wild games for UTSA, two overtime games, lost to Houston. I think they won last week, yep. blanking on who they knocked off. But just a really fun team to watch out there, especially when they have home games and get that dome rocking. But you have a big game against Texas. You know, Zachary Franklin, who I believe was one of my top seniors or maybe sleeper for a I group, think it was a sleeper group of five. Yep, I think so, yes. Um, which there's a lot of interesting group of five receivers out there. And I think Zachary Franklin really kind of uh, is the headliner of that group. 6'1", 185, separator, speed. And then LaTeX is playing Clemson. And I'm not going to talk about Clemson here because this is opportunity time for La Tech. Yep, they have not. this receiver tight end Griffin Heber who's really interesting. He was on the freak list last year, I think for nearly an 11-foot broad, 40-inch vertical, 1-4-6, 10-yard split. He's testing, and he looks like Jeff Janis out there. He's all sorts of athleticism. He's big. He's like 6'3", 225. I think he was listed as a receiver before, now listed as a tight end. Should be seeing a lot of Trenton Simpson. I'm telling you, you make a catch or two, and maybe you break a tackle. This is opportunity time for La Tech when Clemson comes to town, or I think they're heading to Clemson. Um, but Griffin Herbert, Heber, excuse me, no R in there. Uh, he's a really interesting prospect. Was on the freak list. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, anytime you get the, the group of five versus power five matchups, just so, such a great stage, especially uh, late, you know, later at night. You got a, a good opportunity here uh, under the lights uh, for Griffin A. Bear. Um, for me, I, I'm going to go look. Not everybody listens to this podcast all through the summer, or maybe you're just starting to catch up and you, you dip your toe in the water on who some of the top prospects are, and you want to kind of say, hey, all right, who's the best guy playing in this game? Well, one of the more fun matchups this week, Miami and Texas A&M, 9 o'clock on ESPN on Saturday nights. So this is a, a headline game, two kind of uh, blue blood programs, or maybe a step below blue blood programs. Antonio Johnson, the safety from Texas A&M, probably the best player on the field. I think that's probably fair to say, right? And you go up uh, on the other side, uh, and you've got the uh, you've got the Miami quarterback as well. But I think when you look at Antonio Johnson, this is a guy you know in baseball they call the five-tool player. Those mm -hmm. prospects coming up that can do a little bit of everything. Antonio Johnson is the five-tool safety. This is a guy that can do anything you ask for. Plays primarily in the slot for the Aggies, but this is a guy that can play deep. He can play in the box. He's an outstanding blitzer. Uh, he can play against the run. He can play in coverage. He is. A, he can do a lot of different things for a defense. And, oh, by the way, he's like 6'2", over 200 pounds, outstanding size uh, with that versatility. 
Uh, that usually bodes well for a player's draft <laughs> stock. So uh, keep an eye there on Antonio Johnson going up against Miami. They've got some athletic players. Will Mallory, uh, the, the the versatile tight end in the pass game. I'm sure they'll, they'll be seeing plenty of each other in this matchup Saturday night. Yeah, and that Miami offense has been cruising the first two weeks. So you haven't really seen a full deployment of some of their weapons, in my opinion. Yep. Xavier Restrepo is really uh, the only one that's had the coming out party so far. Will Mallory a little bit quiet. Keyshawn Smith, an electric slot receiver. So Antonio Johnson should have his hands full. Really fun matchup. High-level prospects and speed, both sides of the ball. All right, let's go uh, prediction time here. We're going to call, call your shot. Predict a big, a big game from a prospect this weekend uh, with a short little profile. Well, uh, you mentioned this matchup earlier, Ben. Georgia, South Carolina. South Carolina, they're getting pressured on nearly 40% of their dropbacks. That is a truly awful number. Part of that, offensive line. Part of that, quarterback Spencer Rattler. There, there's no question about it. They're taking on Georgia this week. I'm going to call for a big game here from Nolan Smith off the edge for Georgia. You never know who's going to be the guy that's going to put up numbers for Georgia's defense on any given week. I'm going to put my stamp on it saying Nolan Smith has a big game here against the Gamecocks. He's not always known for his production. He's more known as a disruptor, uh, kind of like a key cog, as opposed to a, a true pr- a producer. But I think this is a game where we see, uh, we'll see at least a sack and a half for Nolan Smith here off the edge for Georgia. Well, I might have to change the name of this segment to my Ole Miss transfer category because I'm going to find a way to mention Ole Miss transfer every week and I think Kari Coleman's going to have a huge week against Georgia Tech who's the TCU transfer who's not playing off ball was an edge rusher at TCU kind of playing a hybrid role now a lot of run blitzes he will line up off the edge in some sub packages really interesting player at like 6'3 230 athletic can do a variety of things out there he may end up being a you know a Baron Browning type you know, who is an off-ball player at Ohio State, like sub-rusher, converted to almost a true defensive end at this point in his career, I think third year in the NFL with the Broncos or wherever he is. But Kari Coleman is a really interesting player. I think wearing number 23, the second level of defense. He's a hulking linebacker, and he plays next to Troy Brown, the Central Michigan transfer, who's like 6'1", 220. Yep. So very unique kind of skill sets, interesting safeties back there. Old Miss, you just know SEC, all sorts of defensive line prospects in front of them as well. Akari Coleman, big game, Georgia Tech. Uh, I did a bad job of also just kind of explaining, oh, yeah, like Nolan Smith, one of the top defensive players in the country. <laughs> uh, just in case you haven't been listening, we did a, a nice uh, a little breakdown from Dane uh, in our On the Clock segment earlier this week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. So make sure uh, you keep in tune with who these top prospects are. Nolan Smith from Georgia, certainly. And, and uh, I think South list. Carolina is a pretty veteran left tackle, a Dylan Wanham, whose He's brother, a DJ Wanham, yeah, uh, who, who looks the part. Big, yep. tall, long, athletic. Uh, I'm not sure where those pass protection lapses are coming. Trying to think of some of the other guys on that uh, offensive line unit, but Dylan Wanham definitely a veteran of the group. Yeah, he's a he's a name for sure. Should be a lot of him and Nolan Smith if I had to guess. Yes, I, I think that'll be a matchup uh, certainly to watch in that game. Uh, let's go now to our uh, second to last category: comparison chat. We're just going to use an NFL comp uh, to profile a player that is taking the field this weekend, and I'm going to go with uh, Ohio State right tackle Dewan Jones. Seven o'clock on fr- uh, on Saturday night against Toledo on Fox. You can check out Ohio State. Uh, Dewan Jones. They've got. Harris Johnson at left tackle. You've got Dewan Jones at right tackle. Dewan Jones, large human being. If you are an Eagles fan listening to this podcast, you will remember King Dunlap back in the early 2010s uh, here in Philadelphia. He ended up going out to the LA Chargers and, and starting a handful of years out there as well. I think they are very, very similar. Dewan Jones is ginormous, and he's not like uh, you know a fleet of foot athlete, but for a guy that big, 
I think he moves plenty fine enough. And King Dunlap, like I said, was a long-time star. He was a seventh-round pick out of Auburn uh, when he came out. I want to say it was the 2009 draft, Ben. Um, again, played in the league for a long time. I think Dewan Jones has a very similar skill set. He's not like a dancing bear. But, I mean, you're talking a guy, about a guy that's like 6'8". He's got like 35-inch arms. He's three, you know, 330-plus. It is a large, large human being. Uh, for a guy that, that can hold up well enough, I think this is a guy that's going to be drafted and I think has starting potential for teams that covet <laughs> size up front. Yeah, some of the names I've written down, Orlando Brown, Zach Banner, Makai Becton, Trent Brown. I think we, we know the, the hulking yeah. type of uh, big show type of offensive yep. lineman we're talking about here. And I'm going to do – I'll stay on the offensive side. I'll stay on the offensive line okay. for you. And I'm going to make a comparison to an extremely high-level prospect, an extremely high-level NFL player. Okay. And I'm going to do this a little bit differently this week. Ooh, okay. And I'm going to tell you my comparison player, the NFL player. Oh, I love this. Okay, oh, yes, this is great. His weaknesses from college. Okay, got it. Okay, and now we're talking some pretty Rushmore-y players, in my opinion, in the NFL. So I'm not making this stress too hard. Okay. But not going to say whose report this is, but some of the weaknesses from college. Lacks ideal length to stay outside in the pros. Relatively small wingspan. Not a pure road grader who rolls off flat back and buries defenders. This is an NFL.com report, by the way. Got it. Could be stressed by bigger, more powerful tackles. Can improve balance and sustainment on the second level. Does not have experience at guard. Could stand to bulk up in preparation for a move inside. Do you know whose report that is? Those are just the few weaknesses yeah. in a very, can, very impressive report. Can I ask you... Um, Played 52 games of his career, passes off stunts well, very athletic, combo block, seals run length, good hand placement, excellent posture, knee bent, eyes up, shoulders back, keeps his head out of the fight, work hips and maneuver, flexible light on his feet, engages quickly, quick off the ball. What year did this guy come out? Relatively. Um, eight years ago, nine eight years, years ago, ago. Okay. so 2014. Okay. Um, Joel Batonio. No, but that's great that you said that because that would be the other name that I feel like I just used two years ago okay. for a similar prospect. Okay. Um, but right. that is the ballpark we were talking about, it's yes. Zach Martin. It is Zach Martin. All right, there we go. And my yes. comparison for Zach Martin is Peter Skaronsky. Okay. Ooh, and wow. I'm not one that throws around wow. the Zach Martin comp every cycle for these, you know, lacking length kind of do you move them inside conversations that come out every year. So... Joel Petonio was my comp for Rashawn Slater two years ago. Yep. Rashawn's looked like a stud at left tackle. I'm not saying Skaronsky needs to move inside. Yep. But the conversation is being had and will be had for the next six months. Mm. Uh, and I think it'll be different strokes for different folks. And his report and traits and pros and cons look a lot like Zach Martin at Notre Dame. Yep. And his tape looks a lot like Zach Martin at Notre Dame. And he plays a lot like Zach Martin at Notre Dame. Those are all good things. So Those are good things. Peter Skaronsky is a high-level prospect. There's some pros and cons to his game, just like Zach Martin, who is all intense, seeing all-pro right guard for most of his career. That would be a pretty good comparison uh, if he can fall in line. Love it. Uh, that's a uh, that's a hell. I, I feel like that's a you should take that angle every week because that's fine. I, 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 I need to massage it a little bit uh, with you there if I'm going to kind of serve up some. I need to have a little bit more impactful traits or some impactful. Give me the year. Uh, Even bio. If you just give me the year. I yeah. think I, I can. I might be able to uh, sniff that out. I like. This. And it has to be somebody notable as well. You know, I can't go well, with some journeyman day uh, three or that. Obscure. Make it tough on me. Okay. I like it. I, that'll, that'll be a fun game we can do uh, each week. Um, all right, let's round this conversation out with our uh, mock draft roundup. I, I say like round it out every single. 
single time we talk about the mock draft roundup, and I think I'm just saying roundup too many times in a sentence. But uh, for our mock draft roundup this week, we are going to go to CBS Sports, where Chris Trapasso uh, just put out his most recent mock draft. And uh, Ben, just looking at the top five, there's one pick that I caught my eye here in this top five. Atlanta at number one, taking Alabama edge rusher Will Anderson. Uh, I just feel like, if, number one, like if Atlanta's at number one, like it's got to be quarterback, right? That's just me, but we'll see. Uh, number two, New York Jets taking Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson. Number two overall really caught my eye. Rounding out the top five, Houston uh, taking quarterback C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Seattle taking Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. And then Jacksonville at number five, going again to the Georgia defensive front seven and taking defensive tackle Jalen Carter. That's been kind of a chic pick. I feel like it's been uh, – uh, those two have been pegged uh, in a lot of mock drafts we've seen lately. But, um, Ben, are you with me? The, the Paris Johnson at number two, uh, the most eye pop of those uh, selections? Well, it certainly is going to fit a need and a concern for those Jets moving forward. When you look at that roster heading into 2023 and kind of projecting to the springtime, to figure out that left tackle spot. Is, yeah. it, is it backed in? Is it not backed in? Can we get a couple years out of Dwayne Brown, who unfortunately just went on, on, on IR yeah. to replace backed in? So this is year after year of having issues at that left tackle spot with consistency, availability. If they need one, go get one. And Paris Johnson's looking like he's trending to a top half of the first round uh, conversation. I think right lockstep with Peter Skaronsky will be the kind of neck and neck conversation for the next six months. But Paris Johnson, second overall, fits a need. I could see that happening. Uh, I have the uh, the Notre Dame Ohio State game. I need to go back and just I just want to see Paris Johnson going up against uh, Notre Dame and just get a sense uh, where the, where he is at left tackle. I haven't seen that tape yet, so uh, excited to go back and watch that. Uh, next one here, uh, are the Eagles selection at 16 overall. This is the pick coming from the New Orleans Saints. The pick here from Chris. Army edge rusher Andre Carter, and this is the, the description here from Chris. Uh, Carter is a long, ferocious, explosive edge rusher, much needed for the future here in Philadelphia. So, Ben, uh, the reaction to Carter, number one, here in Philadelphia in this scheme, but then number two, right in the smack in the middle of the first round. Yeah, I think he has a lot of positional versatility and role versatility. He is tall, he's long. You think he's a 4-3 defensive end, but he's really athletic and play out in space. Is he too is there too much overlap with him and Hassan Reddick even though the body types are too are very dissimilar or very uh, you know, very opposite? Yeah, you know, potentially. I think the skill sets are similar, but in more of a Josh Sweat package, Yeah. Um, which I think is what Jonathan Gannon wants. He wants that tall, long guy that can play the 4-3, some, you know, base snaps, but then play the odd front, play out in space, serve that Sam role, and do a lot of post-snap movement stuff with twists and stunts and buzzing out. He's a guy that I think can play in space and, you know, buzz some underneath zone coverages, but... This guy's a playmaker. He's long. He gets his hands on a lot of ball carriers, covers a lot of ground. He's exactly, I think, what they want out of that defensive end outside linebacker room here in I Philly. Just, I feel like, you know, I want to watch from this year and just see, based off of last year, he's just got to get better against the run. Like, yeah. that, that to me is, like, the big thing. And that's why I almost look at him as more of, like, a Sam, like, pure, like, I want him as the outside the tight end as opposed to trying to muck it up. With he's that. tall. He's, like, 6'6". Six, six. He does not have a filled-out lower half. It's yeah. just, you know, there's some body-type things working against him. Needs to get stronger at the point of attack. Yep. Um, not entirely sure, you know, some of the technique and coaching stuff he's getting at Army. I think some of his best football could be ahead of him. Um, but Andre Carter is a very interesting prospect and really just a ball of clay right now. Uh, I've tried to go back and find that stat that I had when we did the uh, the 
outside power five preview of like the last time a service academy member went in the top hundred and it was like 1972 or something like that <laughs> um, but obviously that would be notable for an army pa uh, pass rusher uh, to go that high in the draft let's get to the next one here um and actually real quick before we get to the eagles pick uh, the, the players that went in that area, again, just trying to get a sense of who was being talked about uh, in the first round. Number 13 overall, Tennessee taking Kansas State edge rusher Felix Anadike Ozoma. Number 14 overall, Dallas taking LSU wideout Kayshawn Boutte. 15, the Arizona Cardinals taking Clemson defensive lineman Brian Brezzi. Now, the three players that went after the Eagles pick at 16. At 17, the Raiders taking Antonio Johnson, the Texas A&M safety we talked about in the la uh, earlier in the segment. At number 19, the Indianapolis Colts taking Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. And then at 20, the Houston Texans taking USC wide receiver Jordan Addison, the reigning Blitnikoff Award winner from last year, catching passes from Kenny Pickett. So, uh, Ben, of those six players, I would say the guy that really kind of stood out to me was like, oh, okay, we haven't really seen him here, was the Kansas State edge rusher, uh, Anadike Ozama. Uh, him being in the top 15, I haven't really seen any mock drafts with that. So, uh, to me, that was the big notable one. Anything else that, that kind of stood out to you from that grouping? I actually didn't notice that in the mock. Did he have a big week last week or something? I was go back and look. Right yeah, in the wave right. a little bit. I'm sure Anthony Richardson's down a little bit. Right. You have a big game. <laughs> right, you yeah, bounce back up in these mock drafts. But... I'm going to go with uh, Antonio Johnson there going to the Las Vegas Raiders. I just think they need more speed, playmaking ability, consistency, particularly in the second level of the defense and right. the guys that play down. I think they have some kind of run stuffing linebackers right now with Denzel Perryman. I like Trayvon Marig on the back end, but Jonathan Abram I just think is too limited as a top-down safety and his coverage ability. I think Antonio Johnson, he's the type of guy that, you know, could put a Travis Kelsey into retirement. That's a guy that's, you know, cover him, you know, cover these athletic tight ends, cover these slot receivers, yep. be a blitzer, be that, you know, extra hat in the run game, have some length, playing space. He's a higher level prospect than higher level version prospect of Trayvon Marek. Right. You know, Marek was a really nice player at TCU, did a lot of different things, played the slot, played the back end, long, athletic. Antonio Johnson does all that souped up, in my and opinion. And more, to me, like more proven versatility. No question, yeah. yeah. But I think you're getting a higher level yep. version of Trayvon. I like Trayvon. I like I think, Trayvon as a pure post player. No like, question, no, no, yep. No and he yep. fit that Gus Bradley scheme. I'm not sure, you know, where things are going with Patrick Graham out there now. Obviously trying to turn the roster over from the previous regime. I don't care if they've drafted one in the first round or one in the second round last year. It's a new regime in there. Yep. So they're going to try to clean up some of the roster deficiencies. And Antonio Johnson... I don't care if you have two Pro Bowl nickels right now. Yep. Go add an Antonio Johnson to your DB room, and you'll you'll be laughing. I feel like he is like the prototype for today's strong safety. No question. Yep. He, he is the prototype in that he's not like a box player. He is a coverage player that likes to play in traffic. Uh, I think he's got that. So let me ask you this. He's 17 <clears> in this mock draft. We're sitting here the second week of September. Over <laughs> under 17 and a half as his draft slot. If he were to come out, uh, we'll say even like down the road for whenever he decides to enter the draft. You know, we know that like uh, you know some of these safeties, they th we think they're going to go high, and mm -hmm. sometimes like a Jamal Adams does, and then sometimes a Derwin James falls a little bit. Kyle Hamilton, oh, he's going to be a top five <coughs> player, and he falls into the middle of round one. Uh, what do you think here with uh, with Antonio Johnson? Over under seventeen and a half as we sit here. I would say under right now. I think it's going to be right in that Kyle Hamilton conversation, okay. not so much the Dax Hill end of round one. I yep. think he's going to fit right in there into the middle of the first round. I like it. All right. I wanted to make sure you put your you put your stamp on that. Uh, we will hold you to it throughout the course of the pre-draft process. Uh, the next Eagle selection here, number twenty six overall. 
Alabama corner, Eli Ricks, LSU transfer. Uh, here's the blurb from Chris. The Eagles don't have age on their side at the cornerback position, and Ricks could learn so much from James Bradbury and Darius Slay in his rookie season. So, Ben, uh, the reaction there, Eli Ricks, talented player. We talked about him coming into last season after his freshman year at LSU. He barely played a year ago for the Tigers, now playing for Nick Saban in Alabama. Uh, your thoughts on, on him being in the, the, the first-round conversation? I know he, he looks the part as a NFL press cover corner he's 6'2 he's speedy he's long um i haven't watched some of his alabama tape thus far this year his lsu tape was very up and down showed some high level reps showed some mental lapses showed some inconsistency yep that was the trend out there lsu so you know he could be just uh smelling a little bit you know being around that locker room and some of the deficiencies of the program but i need to watch his alabama tape all eyes are on him he looks the part high level prospect just need to see him clean up the technique, clean up the consistency out there. But he's trending to be a first-round corner, um, and I think lumped up with the, you know, Cam Smiths and Joey Porters and Christian Gonzalez and Clark Phillips and Garrett Williams and that kind of cluster of eight corners fighting for first-round love right now. I think Keely Ringo is solidified in there. Not necessarily saying he'll end up cornerback one, but right, sure. I'm, I'm locking Ringo in that conversation. And there's just a cluster of other guys. So Eli Ricks, every other week, you know, I see him as a number 10, 11 overall, and I see him maybe dropping in the second round. Yep. So that's kind of the nature of the uh, the conversation right oh, now. Yeah, it's the, the cornerback conversation. We yeah. talked about it with Jim earlier. You've talked about it all summer is how, how wide open that, that playing field is uh, at that position right now when it comes to talking about the NFL draft. Uh, Eli Ricks, for me, like I did a deep dive on him after his freshman year. He was a third-team All-American, Ben, back in 2020, playing opposite of Derek Stingley. He was freshman All-SEC, 6'2", just under 200 pounds. Just real quick, the three things that really stood out to me about his tape, you know, this is, again, going off his freshman season. Uh, obviously, the size, very competitive and aggressive. He was a willing downhill player. He was really aggressive in press man coverage. Uh, he's got all the press man traits. I thought the, the athleticism and speed – they weren't great, but they were enough for him to be able to hang. I just I liked his competitiveness. Also, the instincts from off coverage were outstanding. He read routes really, really well, would jump throws, and create a bunch of big plays. Four picks, five PBUs, two touchdowns as a true freshman back in 2020. So uh, Eli Ricks will be a, an interesting player to kind of chart and follow throughout the course of this season playing in that new scheme in Alabama. Again, the, the six players that went around this pick, around the Eagles selection at 26. At 23, the Minnesota Vikings taking TCU wide receiver Quentin Johnson, a Ben Fennell favorite. At number 24, the Seattle Seahawks taking Georgia tight end Arik Gilbert. Uh, some people think uh, Gilbert might not be the, the, the third best tight end or the second best tight end on his own roster. Uh, Gilbert's a, a fascinating, fascinating player. 25, Baltimore taking North Carolina wide receiver Josh Downs, who hasn't been able to get off that hot start uh, due to injury so far this season. At 27, the Green Bay Packers taking Parker Washington, Ben, a guy that you've been uh, that you've been hyping up here over the course of the last few weeks. Detroit Lions taking South Carolina corner Cam Smith. And then lastly, uh, Trenton Thompson or Trenton Simpson, rather, the linebacker from Clemson. He goes at number 29 to the L.A. Chargers. So, Ben, uh, of those uh, six picks right around the Eagles, which one uh, stands out most to you? Remember when the NBA stopped Chris Paul from going to the Lakers? That's what I'm pulling that card on Trenton Simpson going to the Chargers. Right. <laughs> yeah, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, just paid Derwin James out there. Like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. We can only allow so much 
high-level athleticism and playmakers out there. Uh, I'm going to go with Quentin Johnson to the Vikings as my most intriguing. One of the few teams in the NFL to only keep five receivers on their roster heading into the regular season. Yep. And three of them seem like they're clones between K.J. Osborne, uh, Jalen Naylor, and our old friend Jalen uh, Rieger out there who are more of the 5'11", slot, yep. kind of scat-back-looking types with speed. They need some length. They need some speed. Somebody to kind of take off the top of the defense, maybe be a deep play threat off play action, maybe, you know, you know, make some safeties turn and run for some opportunities for Justin Jefferson underneath and things like that. So Quentin Johnson, I just think, is a high-level receiver prospect and would be a nice addition to that Vikings receiver room and give him a little bit more high-level speed, length, playmaking ability outside of Justin Jefferson, obviously, and Adam Thielen. I think it complements that really well. And also, what do we know about Quentin Johnson in terms of, like, his biggest negatives coming into the pre-draft process? He's got to get better from a from like a nuanced route runner standpoint, you know, limited route tree, all of that. I mean, is there a more like a, <laughs> like a technically proficient receiver room than Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen? I mean, those two guys are two of the best technicians in the NFL. So just kind of getting paired with those two guys would be great for Quentin Johnson. And the reason I think Quentin Johnson's a high level prospect is I like his traits and I think he's a high level athlete with speed and length and explosiveness and he needs to work on a lot of techniques you know getting off press coverage and out of breaks NFL route tree running routes on both sides of the formation yep, all that stuff but I think early on in his NFL career he could just be a downtown type of receiver with DK Metcalf no uh, question yep you know he can be an MVS until he kind of figures out the rest of the skill set because they have two receiver dogs that can get open and separate so he might just be a pure speed burner early on and we'll see where things kind of develop after that. Uh, for me, I would have stick a receiver in that pick that went just before the Eagles, Baltimore taking Josh Downs. Uh, number one, I mentioned that uh, he, his the, the season here hasn't gotten off to a super hot start uh, just due to injury. But you look at Josh Downs, you and I both loved his tape this summer going back uh, to last season. And I think when you look at Downs, is he like an apples-to-apples apples comparison in terms of what he would be in that offense uh, with what they lost in Marquise Brown? You know, they, they lose Marquise Brown. They trade him away last draft. Uh, you know, can he come in and do all of those same things and potentially even more? Because I think you look at Downs, say, okay, well, he's got proven ability to, to work in the slot. And Brown, there were, that was a question. He might be just a perimeter player only. I think you might be able to do more with a Josh Downs. Yeah, absolutely. Downs is a really interesting prospect. He's probably the premier gadget slot hybrid playmaker get the ball in your hands type of player in this draft just like uh you know i think like Kadarius tony was viewed two years ago coming out of florida is that type of player so i think any offense would love him but definitely kind of fits that hollywood brown void that seems like uh the ravens could use again all right so the entire mock draft is at, at your disposal here you have to pick one of your fa- your favorite team player fit. So what was your your favorite connection of all 31 picks here in this mock? Well, I just love the emphasis, again, to fixing problems and protecting the crown jewels. Mm. And to see the Cincinnati Bengals at 22 go offensive line again, Peter Skaronsky sitting there at 22, go sprint that card up. Go get Jamar Chase to run a 4-3 up to the podium <laughs> and get Skaronsky. I don't care if you spent money on Lyle Collins. I don't care if you took Jonah Williams in the top 10. Keep protecting the crown jewels. That's Joe Burrow. Keep spending money on free agents, adding high-level veterans to that group, young high-level talent, first-round picks. Keep Joe Burrow upright. And I think Peter Skaronsky, I don't know where he's going to play on that offensive line with Jonah and Lyle Collins out there next year. You know what, Fran? I don't care. Figure it out. out. What are the Jets going through right now? You know, multiple left tackles in and out. There's tons of offensive line issues right now after week one. Not only – 
you know, incapable starters. There is no depth on certain teams. I mean, the Los Angeles Rams went into the season saying, yeah, we're good with Joe Nopum at left tackle. Yep. Well, we saw how that went. Von Miller knew exactly what Joe Nopum bought. He was on his team last year. So there's a couple teams around the NFL that I just think went into the NFL season with some egregious offensive line plans. Joe Burrow, we've seen the injury early on in his career. He got beat up last year on the run run to the Super Bowl. The Steelers annihilated him last week despite all that revamping of the offensive line. It's going to take some time. Keep protecting Burrow. Skaronsky, 22, Bengals. Love it. I love it. Uh, It's a really, really good uh, explanation there. And to me, like, it takes Skaronsky, like, to your point. Right tackle and move, move Collins inside? Sure. Move, put him in left guard and, and figure it out later? Sure. He, he might even Whatever. get some Jonah Williams comps. Yeah, right. I'm kind of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, he might. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. He might get some Jonah Williams comps. Uh, but it seems like they're set on Jonah like staying at left tackle and him being that guy there. Um, we'll see if they pick up his fifth-year uh, fifth option, yeah, too. Something yeah, something to watch uh, for certain here in the coming months. Um, for me, it was Arik Gilbert at 24 to Seattle. You know, Obviously, mm. they, they picked up Noah Fan uh, in that trade, the Russell Wilson trade, uh, but he was second in snaps to Will Disley this past week in that Denver game. So I I think when you look at Gilbert, uh, we've talked about him plenty, but just for those that have missed that conversation, this is a guy that checks all the boxes from a physical standpoint at the tight end position. He can impact all three levels of the field, really natural pass catcher, and he could be a mismatch weapon. Uh, also, not a bad blocker. Like This is a guy that can compete at the point of attack, run game, pass game. Uh, and th- To me, like that's what you're talking about in terms of being a high-ceiling option at the position. That's Arik Gilbert. Now, started his career at LSU was there on campus for just a handful of games and then left, ended up at Georgia, didn't participate last year in 2021, was at Georgia now. Uh, and so that's all got to get kind of get cleared up. That tight end room in Georgia, outstanding. Uh, they've got uh, Darnell Washington. Uh, they've got, obviously, um, why am I forgetting the, the kid's name, the, the true treasures from last year who tore it up. Um, Mr. Bowers. Yeah, thank you, uh, Brock Bowers. Yep. So uh, I think when you look at uh, this Georgia tight end room, extremely talented. So reps might be in short supply. What is Arik Gilbert going to look like? Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to kind of follow his pre-draft process uh, over the course of the next couple of years as he leads into the uh, into the NFL. But uh, fitting there in Seattle, I think it makes a lot of sense for a number of reasons. Arik Gilbert, uh, I like that fit. I'm excited for this tight end class. I think Michael Mayer is going to be a really interesting prospect to dive into. The hybrid types and Brant Cuthy and G- Jaheim Bell. Yep. You know, Urasek at Stanford. Looks like he's a Dennis Pitta, Mike Kosicki type out there don't forget about tucker craft i'm sure our buddy dallas goddard's gonna be pounding the table for his old uh jackrabbit buddy out there at south dakota state really interesting tight end group but i think arik gilbert is the cream of the crop he looks the part he is exciting and i think the seattle seahawks uh would love that addition Love it. Well, Ben, uh, this is fun as always. We'll be back breaking down all of the action from week three. Me, you, Dane Brugler, uh, next Monday here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, time for one of my favorite segments every week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, and that's pick six as I welcome in my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, the score got even this week, man. I, actually, I took a little bit of a lead. You had a little bit of an edge on me. Uh, all, I, all it took was one game for me to be able to take the lead on you, though. Yeah, I mean, you invented the scoring system, <laughs> which maybe we should talk about, but I kind of like the scoring system. I, I like that if you hit a big upset, you should get a bunch of points, and you hit it, man. I, I am surprised. Kudos to you, but you hit the big upset, so 
To the victor go the spoils, I guess. Yeah, Kansas came through for me. Overtime win over West Virginia, so that got me eight points. Uh, that was enough to give me the lead. You you had more wins than me last week. You took the over on receiving yards for Jordan Addison. You took BYU over Baylor, which uh, some viewed as an upset as well, and uh, BYU coming away with that win on Saturday night. So... With that in mind, uh, Ross, let's get into our, our first pick of the week. And we will stick once again with BYU. This time they're taking on the Oregon Ducks. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts here. What do you like here, BYU or Oregon? So I, I like Oregon. I like Oregon for a couple reasons. Number one, they're at home. Everybody's kind of written them off after that terrible loss to Georgia. Uh, but they still have a lot of talent there. I mean, Mario Cristobal did a good job bringing in players. They still have Sewell. They still have some studs. And they're playing at home, like I mentioned. Meanwhile, you know, BYU came through for me last week, but that was a battle. I mean, that was an absolute battle against Baylor. That would be awfully impressive for BYU to go back-to-back, first beating Baylor, then on the road to Oregon. I don't see it happening. Give me the Ducks. Yeah, that that's it for me. Is that it's just that's two tough road battles. You know, to to go on the road in consecutive weeks like that uh, and be able to come away with a win. Part of me wanted to take BYU, um, but I think looking at the way that Oregon is built on defense, uh, this is a smash mouth football team on that side of the football going up against an offense that's going to want to bang it as well. Uh, and I think that when you look at Oregon, uh, you know, you mentioned Penny Sewell, the, the stud linebacker, the junior there with the Ducks, but even the senior defensive tackle Brandon Dorless is a guy we've talked about numerous times. I really like Brandon. Doorless. Uh, they, they are built really well up the middle. That's a, an athletic, physical, tough defense. Uh, so I will go with the Oregon Ducks as well. Let's go to our next one here, uh, Ross. And that's one I'm sure that you have spent plenty of time thinking about over the last uh, few days. That's Penn State and Auburn. This was a, a fun one last year in Happy Valley. Uh, thoughts here on how, how this one's going to fare? I like Penn State. And I hope and think that this isn't sort of my, uh, my central Pennsylvania bias or Growing up a season ticket holder, you know, Auburn has not been very impressive. No, not yet. In their first couple of games at all. They do have a good, you know, running back punch. Um, they do have some talent. Auburn always does. But Penn State's been actually pretty impressive, I thought. You know, uh, I know it was just Ohio, but they got the running game better, going better than they have in years. And the reason is Reading, Pennsylvania. My hometown, <laughs> Nicholas Singleton. Yeah. I think he had like 180 yards. I mean, there's a reason, Fran, why he was the Gatorade Parade USA Today Player of the Year in the whole country. He has rare explosive ability, had a 70-yard touchdown, had a 44-yard touchdown, and he adds an entirely different element that they haven't had since Journey Brown a couple years ago that they really needed an actual threat out of the backfield. I think he makes a big difference for their team. I think Penn State finds a way to get this win over an Auburn team that's just kind of in shambles. You know, it sounds like the coach is getting is either getting fired or leaving after the year no matter what. It's a bizarre situation. What do you think about the the quarterback situation? Uh, do you think that uh, Drew Allar, the the young quarterback for Penn State, ha- has a chance to be able to play uh, moving forward? Like, how, how do you view that? Uh, you know, kind of uh, developing over the rest of the season. It's a great question. I would be surprised if he plays much against Auburn. That will be interesting. That sort of changes things. If he plays against Auburn, 
it almost makes you wonder if that was part of him going to Penn State, right. you know? Because he's been good, but he's not better than Clifford yet. I mean, this is Clifford's sixth year and second year in the offense. Alar's a true freshman. If Clifford's not better, there's a problem, a right. real problem. Now, Alar's more talented, but I, I don't expect him to play much in this game. We'll see, though, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops because Alar has really flashed. But uh, to your point, if you put in the young quarterback here in this game, I think that kind of opens it up a little bit, and maybe there's a little bit more variance to how it could go. Maybe it opens the door for Auburn. That said, uh, I do like Penn State in this one. I, I think that they go uh, and take care of business. I will take the Nittany line. So a little bit boring so far. We've had two games. Uh, we've picked two. We've both been on the same side. Uh, we'll see how the rest of these go. We've got four more uh, categories to go through. Our first one over under and the over under this week i'm setting it at four and a half four and a half grabs for lsu wide receiver Kayshawn butte going up against mississippi state ross uh what do you think four and a half receptions for butte against the bulldogs uh you taking over or under taking the over uh, i think brian kelly is smart enough to know that they need him to win more more to the point they need to feed him to win he's their best skill guy He's a likely first-round pick. It's a conference game. It's a division game in the SEC West. If he doesn't get five catches, then something's wrong with the coaching. Hmm. Yeah, he had, he had five catches last week against Southern. Just two the week before uh, in that game against Florida State um, with, that we all watched. So I think when you look at uh, Keishon Butte, clearly one of the most physically gifted receivers in the entire country. <sighs> I don't want to. I don't want to side with you again. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take the under here. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say take the under. Uh, maybe it's four, uh, and Mississippi State finds a way to kind of lock them up a little bit. Uh, I will take the under there on boot take catches just to make sure that uh, we're not picking the same. And I want to be able to extend my lead a little bit here. Let's go to the next category. Either or. Uh, and this one is going to be looking at the Michigan State Washington game. Fun out of conference battle here uh, on Saturday. Michigan State running back, Jarek Broussard, uh, who has been their second leading rusher. He's kind of working in a, in a committee back there uh, in that backfield. But we're going to look at Broussard, his yards per carry, or the total points scored by Washington quarterback Michael Penix, who left the Big Ten to go out west. He was previously with Indiana. Uh, touchdown rushing will count as six. A touchdown passing count as zero. So really, we're talking about rushing touchdowns for Michael Penix. We know how athletic this kid is, and we know that he can reach the end zone, Ross. Uh, so I will I will put, it, put this up to you. Yards per carry for Jarek Broussard or total points for Michael Penix? Total points for Penix. Wow. He's going to score a rushing touchdown. He's, he's going to get in once. Broussard's not going to have over six yards of carry. I'm betting on a Penix touchdown. So I'm going to bet on this Michigan State defense uh, that has just been terrorizing opposing quarterbacks, and that doesn't mean that you know he's not going to sneak past them and uh, pick up some yards on the ground. But uh, give me uh, give me this Michigan State defense to keep him out of the end zone uh, and you know give Broussard the edge here in this one. Let's now go to our high low. Which number is higher, Ross? Looking at Miami, Texas saying now this could be a fun game. Miami's margin of victory or Tyler Van Dyke's uh, touchdown passes at the end of this game. And so total touchdown passes for Tyler Van Dyke or Miami's margin of victory. The push will go to Van Dyke. I know how you typically go with these when we start dealing with margin of victory, but I'm interested to see uh, how you view this matchup. Yeah, well, you know how I typically go. <laughs> give, me, give me Van Dyke's touchdown passes since um, I think Texas A&M has a great chance to win the game. I mean... It's at Kyle Field. They were embarrassed against Appalachian State. 
I'm sure that Miami's better, but boy, Texas A&M is going to bounce back in a major way. Give me the Van Dyke passing touchdowns because I think there's at least a 50% chance A&M wins the game. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. And I do, even if they don't, I think you know you could still uh, factor in the possibility that uh, the Van Dyke still comes out on top here. Uh, I'll take Van Dyke as well. I wanted to see if I could lure you out of that one, but uh, we'll go Van Dyke here uh, with the the high low. With that said. Everyone's favorite. There's so many points that can be made here in these upset specials, Ross. Who, who do you like here as your upset special for the week? You know, there was a couple I could have gone with. I thought about Liberty. Thought about Temple, actually. Your alma mater against Rutgers. Thought about Nebraska with the Scott Frost being fired, yeah. sort of uh, spurring them on. But I'm going to go with the team I just saw on Saturday. Oh. They're good. The UTSA Roadrunners. Their quarterback, Frank Harris, is slick. They've got three really good receivers. And I think the Texas Longhorns are poised for a big-time letdown. After the Bama game, with Quinn Ewers hurt, I'm taking the Roadrunners to win in Austin and shock the world of Texas. Wow. Which makes sense if you've ever been to Texas and understand. Yeah, that would be outstanding just because, you know, every year it's there's the Texas is back moment. And I feel like last week you say, oh, even in a loss, that was as impressive as anything Texas has done in recent years. And so uh, for them to, to take uh, Alabama to the limit and then lose the next week to UTSA, uh, yeah, that would that, that kind of fits the narrative pretty well. UTSA, I love that pick uh, from you, Ross. I am going to go somewhere different. I am going to go with my alma mater. Rutgers started 2-0. Temple, they put in Kurt Warner's son in the second half this past week. Gave them a spark in the second half. Led them to a couple touchdowns. They had a nice win at home against Lafayette. Let's see if they can carry that momentum and take on Rutgers. uh, Beat the Big Ten uh, opponent here. Uh, A regional rivalry, Temple and Rutgers. I will take my fighting Temple Owls this week uh, as my upset special, Ross. So uh, we'll see. Maybe I can make it two in a row. Kansas came through for me last week. We'll see if Temple can do the same. I love it. Yeah, I know Kurt Warner very well, so I know his son a little bit. And Rutgers quarterback Evan Simon, I helped him during the recruiting process. He's a Lancaster kid, Mannheim Central, so I'll definitely be paying attention to that one. Should be interesting. Well, Ross, we'll uh, we'll be back to break it all down and see how we did uh, next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. All right, so great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, Ben Fennell, and, of course, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. Thanks to all three of them for uh, their contributions to this episode. We'll be back uh, early next week. Myself, Ben, Dane, we're going to have a special guest. We'll have uh, Ella back on the show as well for On the Clock. You do not want to miss it. Stay subscribed right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.